0: Thank you for being here this morning. We are in week two. Of a series in the book of revelation the next seven weeks We're going to be hanging out in revelation chapter 2 and revelation chapter 3 studying through letters That jesus wrote to the churches But if you have your bibles, I want to start again in revelation chapter 1 pull your notes out of your bulletin So you can follow along or fire up your journey church international app Everything that you see on the screen will be right in your handheld device and when you're done taking notes You can press a button and email those to yourself So you have a hard copy uh, if you need it to email to someone else or talk to somebody else about because we started this series in Revelation to see Jesus. We started this series in the book of Revelation to see Jesus. Look at Revelation 1.1 with me just real quick. For those of you who were here last week, this is just a little redo. For those of you who are brand new, we're going to catch you up to where we are. Revelation 1.1 says this, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. I asked you last week to underline the word revelation in 1-1, because that word in the Greek language is the word apokalypsis. It's the word we get the apocalypse from. Let me share a secret with you. The apocalypse is not the end times. That's how we think about it. When we hear the word apocalypse, we think the end. That is not a proper translation of the word apocalypse. Apocalypse is a Greek word. It means revealing. Here's what apocalypse means. It means to uncover. It means to reveal. It means to disclose. When the word apocalypse refers to a person like it does in Revelation 1 1, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. It means that person becomes clearly visible to us anytime in the new testament the word apocalypsis is used It refers to something that was hidden that's now made visible We're told in revelation 1 1 we are going to learn hidden things about jesus that weren't visible before we studied the book Once we started studying the book and we're told those things will bless us in revelation 1 3 We read this blessed Is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Why is it important to study the book of Revelation? We said last week for two reasons. One, so we can know Jesus better. One, so Jesus becomes more visible to us. But two, so we can receive the blessing of knowing what he wants us to know about himself. And the end that's why we're studying this book. I told you last week if you would come with a spirit to receive I told you last week if you would live within the proximity of the promise If you would have a plan to stay close to jesus and try to follow that plan and have somebody help you follow that plan That you would receive the blessing of this great book And today we read the first of the seven letters that are meant to reveal jesus to us That are meant to uncover things about our own heart spiritually and that are meant to bless us revelation 2 is where we're going to start off today before we do that Let's bow our heads. Let's take a deep breath and let's pray these words from our heart to god speak lord For your servant is listening What i'm reading is the word of god. They aren't my words. They aren't just history words in a book They're the words of god to the people of god if you're a christian today These words are from god to you. So just whisper this prayer in your heart speak lord For your servant is listening Speak to us, God. From this 2,000-year-old letter, speak to us what we need to hear today. We are listening. Show our hearts what we need to know about you, what we need to know about ourselves, and how we can receive the blessing promised us today in Revelation chapter 2. Well, yes, he sings in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Revelation 2 says this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary Yet I hold this against you You have forsaken the love you had at first consider how far you have fallen repent And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, to understand this letter, you have to understand the church. So let me give you some quick background on Ephesus. Ephesus was the most well-known and well-established church in the New Testament. In the first hundred years after Jesus raised from the dead, Ephesus was the church that everyone was aware of. You say, why? Because of the people who were engaged in that church. If you've studied the New Testament carefully enough to understand the names of people... Most of the names you're aware of were engaged in leadership at the church of Ephesus at one time. The well-known ministry leaders at this church include people like Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, Paul, Timothy... Onesiphorus who carried paul's letters tychicus who carried paul's letters the apostle john and mary The mother of jesus you don't get a much better elder board deacon team Small group leadership men's and women's ministry leadership team than you read right there This is the who's who of new testament Christianity and they were all gathered at one point or another at this church the apostle paul spent three years establishing the church at ephesus he spent 18 months at Corinth. Most churches he would spend three to six months. He spent three years, it says, doing church every day to establish this church. And we're told that through this revival at Ephesus, these other six churches that we'll read letters to the next six weeks were actually planted because people came from those cities to hear Paul in Ephesus, went back to their cities and started churches. We're told everyone in Asia heard about Jesus because of this three-year revival. And God took, God took this city And he leveraged the influence of the city of Ephesus for the influence of the gospel of Jesus. Ephesus was an international city that was home to between 250,000 to 500,000 people at any one time. Because it was a port city, it almost had as many tourists as it did regular people living in it at the same time. Upwards of a half million people. Ephesus was a spiritual destination. People would go there to learn spiritually because it was home to the temple of the Greek goddess Artemis. Maybe you know her name as Diana. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Literally, people traveled all over the world to go worship in Ephesus, and Ephesus connected Asia to Rome. It was a gateway city, and Rome influenced the world. It's interesting. If Rome wanted to get a message to the rest of the Roman Empire, they would sail from Rome up here in Italy and they would sail into Ephesus right here. The gospel spread the exact opposite direction. It started in Asia Minor over here in Israel and eventually spread to Rome but we read in history that anytime Rome wanted to send one of their governors to Asia Minor to the Roman Empire they had to stop at Ephesus. This was the port of entry for any Roman government official. They would leave Rome and they would be officially sworn in into their position in Asia at Ephesus, every Roman official sailed up the river, got off at Ephesus, and said, I'm here to represent Rome. Rome knew if it wanted to go to the whole world, it had to go through Ephesus. Jesus knew if he wanted to get a message to the entire world, he had to go through Ephesus. So he wrote a letter to this ancient port city. A church in Ephesus would have global influence over the churches of the world. The good things that the church in Ephesus did would be done in every church in the world. The bad things going on in the church at Ephesus. Had a chance to happen at every church in the world. So Jesus knew if I want to really fix the church, I've got to talk to Ephesus. If Ephesus can get it right, lots of people will get it right. In the next seven weeks, we're going to study seven letters to seven churches. And in every church, our outline will be the same thing. Every letter is going to do three things. It's going to reveal some things about Jesus that maybe you knew or did not know or needed to be reminded of. It's going to uncover things in the hearts of Christians that maybe you were aware of or not aware of or needed to be reminded in your own spirit in every one of them will show us how to receive a blessing if we're able to apply what we hear. Every letter has three things. Something revealed about Jesus, something uncovered in our hearts, a blessing to receive if we will apply what we learn. So let's ask the first question this morning. What is revealed about Jesus in Revelation 2, verse 1? Because of the apocalyptic nature of the writing, highly figurative literature. We have to kind of study carefully what's being said about Jesus. So let's look at verse 1 again. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let me ask you this. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds the seven stars in his hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands? Most of you are looking at me with this look. We don't even know what that means. Exactly, you can't know what it means. But once you understand what it means, you will be glad that Jesus holds the seven stars and he walks among the lampstands. What do those things mean? We need the key to this language to help us uncover what Jesus is talking about and he gives it to us. One verse up, in the last verse of Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, here's what this means when I say stuff like this. He says in verse 20 of Revelation 1, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are actually the seven churches themselves. So God says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The stars represent the angels, but angels... And this language is a really poor translation. It's a really poor English translation of this Greek word. It should be translated ministers of the seven churches, which you and I would think of as pastors. It's literally, these are letters written to the ministering servants of these churches, Often in Scripture, we see angels sent as ministering servants to Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. We see them sent oftentimes to people like Elijah when he was suffering. Angels in the Old Testament, early New Testament, were called ministering servants. But by this time in church history, this was talking about the ministers, the pastors of the church. You say, because pastors are angels? No, if you know one, you know pastors are not angels or anywhere close to angels, but because they are ministering servants. So Jesus is saying, I hold... The pastors of churches in my hands and lampstands are the churches of Asia Lampstands are the churches So now you're glad you know what you know about jesus because jesus says here's what's revealed about me What's revealed about me is I am in charge of pastors and I am in charge of churches I am in charge of pastors and I am in charge of churches We learn first jesus holds ultimate spiritual authority and control over pastors But this is not new news to us. This isn't the first time Jesus has said this. As a matter of fact, he started his ministry by letting ministry leaders know you're accountable to me. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus really wraps this sermon by saying there is a narrow road to life and there's a broad path. And you have to choose the narrow road, but preachers have to point people to the narrow road because right after he says a lot of people are going to choose the broad road, he said, I hold the pastors and the prophets accountable. He says this in Matthew 7, 15, right after talking about the narrow and broad roads, he says, watch out for those false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves by their fruit you're going to recognize them do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles likewise every good tree is going to bear good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bad fruit a bad tree cannot bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus by your fruit by their fruit you will recognize them jesus said i want you to know from the first days of my ministry i'm evaluating spiritual leaders And those who are working to produce good fruit, I'm going to pour life and energy into them so they can produce more. And those who are producing bad fruit, I'm going to cut them down and throw them away because that's not the church that I want to have. A lot of us are looking at, again, what's going on most recently in the Catholic church in Pennsylvania. We're thinking, man, I'm I'm glad that Jesus is looking over the churches and cutting out The bad fruit and getting rid of it because that's not who we believe god wants his church to be We're glad That god is holding the pastors and he has authority over them, but don't just think it's them Because jesus says the greatest evaluation of the preacher is his fruit The greatest evaluation of the preacher is the ministry That is being built and to evaluate the pastor. He had to see the product and to see the product He had to look at the people He's not just holding the seven stars the angels. He's also walking among the lampstands this week Jesus was peering into the life of me as a pastor saying how are you leading? Where are you leading? But this week he was peering into your heart saying where are you going? Where are you heading in your spiritual direction? We learn when Jesus walks among the lampstands that he's walking among his people to evaluate the condition of their hearts. You hear jesus say that he's going to cut down poor spiritual leadership and you throw it away and you think that's awesome But jesus says hang on because i'm also going to do that to christians He actually follows right after he says i'm going to cut poor spiritual leaders away and throw them away But he says i'm also going to hold the followers accountable for themselves He says this in the next verse in matthew 7 not everyone who says to me lord lord Will enter the kingdom of heaven But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. You're evildoers. Jesus said there are some people who call themselves spiritual leaders, but they're not leading well. I've got to get rid of them. And there are some people who call themselves Christians, but their lives prove otherwise. There's some people who say i'm leading spiritually follow me and jesus i'm not going to let them keep leading But there are some people who say i'm a christian and jesus says no, not according to your life It appears you don't know me at all So jesus said in his ministry in the sermon on the mount I want you to know i'm watching spiritual leaders. I'm going to watch followers and then he says in revelation. Hey, just a heads up I'm still doing that I didn't go on break I'm still watching the spiritual leaders. I'm watching the churches This letter teaches us two really valuable spiritual truths about Jesus. One, we learn that Jesus has ultimate spiritual authority and control in our lives. The pastors and the people, the ministers and the churches and the Christians. Jesus has ultimate spiritual authority and control in our lives. And we, pastors and all Christians, are ultimately accountable to him. Jesus has the authority. We have the accountability. So let me ask you a question as you look at those two things on your sermon notes or maybe the app you're looking at As you look at those two truths That revelation 2 just revealed about jesus. Do they give you comfort? Do they give you hope? Do they excite you? Do they challenge you? Do they scare you? Does one give you incredible comfort? And one bothers you a little bit I mean, do you hear when Jesus has ultimate spiritual authority and control, does that, does that give you comfort to think, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but he does, and I can trust him? Because everything I know about him is good, and it's great, and, and I trust him. Does, does that give you great hope? But then you look and you see, but I am ultimately accountable to Jesus and everything I do, and, and that makes you cringe a little bit? Because the church at Ephesus understood Jesus' spiritual authority, but they had kind of lost their accountability to him spiritually. If one of these statements give you, gives you hope, but one of these statements concerns you a little bit, maybe you, like the church at Ephesus, are having some things uncovered in your heart, and that's good. That's the purpose of this book. See, we want to learn what is revealed about Jesus, but we want to see, number two, what's uncovered in our hearts. We want to see what's revealed about Jesus, but we want to see what's uncovered in our hearts. I showed you a lot of maps last week to try to place the book of Revelation for you in modern geography. But I said the most important map of this series is this map. It's our heart. And in, in regardless of all the inroads and outroads that have been made on us spiritually all the mission trips and vacation bible schools and Prayers that we've offered that have been answered and all the prayers we've offered that haven't been answered regardless of what our spiritual past Looks like where is jesus on your heart today? That's the most important question for the book of revelation. Where is jesus on your heart today? And the answer is if you would let him answer that question He would answer it perfectly because you may not even be able to define what's going on in your heart spiritually, but Jesus could. He knows our hearts. And look what he says in Revelation chapter 2 about the heart of the church at Ephesus. Because he said, here's who I am, but here's who you are. Here's who I am. I control the pastors. I control the churches. But here's who you are. Look who Ephesus was. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, I like to make lists. I I like Excel spreadsheets. I like things to be laid out in an orderly fashion. I learn better when there's a list in front of me. So when I read Jesus say, here's who you are. Here's what you're doing good. Here's what you're struggling with. I I had to make a list because lists help me put it in order. So when I made a list, I'll be honest. Here's what I thought about the list. Jesus says, Here, here's what you do well. This great church known around the world. Jesus said, here's what you do well. You work really, really hard. The word kapos in the Greek means um, enduring to the point of sweat. Like that's, hard, like that's hard work. He said, you are working really, really hard. He said, you, you are persevering well. The word hoopamone means to persevere under trial. So it's not just like, hey, you, you, know, you needed to go five hours and you made it all. It's like, no, when life is tough, you don't quit. don't quit. You keep going. Um, He said, you don't tolerate sin. You call sin what it is and say, listen, we're, we're the church of Jesus. That's not for us. You don't tolerate sin. He said, you're carefully choosing leaders. When someone says, I should be a spiritual leader, you know how to put them through tests to figure out who's really connected to Jesus and who's not. You choose leaders really, really well. He says, you're enduring hardships because of Jesus. I know it's difficult where you live to be a Christian, you probably challenge culture a little bit, but you're, you're doing good. You're enduring hardships because of Jesus. You've not grown weary. We're now more than 50 years into the history of the church. Jesus has been crucified and buried and resurrected in the early 30s AD. We're now close to 90 AD. So we've seen an entire generation go through the church and they're still going strong. And he said, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We'll unpack that a little more at the church of Pergamum. But basically it was a group of people who said you can love Jesus and have everything else in life too. That's what they were teaching people in the church at Ephesus said, no, that's not how it is. If you love Jesus, you got to follow Jesus. You do all these things really, really well. Here's where you're struggling. You've forsaken the love you had at first. I'm going to be honest. When I laid it out in a list, when I look at it in a list, I look at that and think, that's a pretty strong church. I mean, I understand they've got an area where they're struggling but if that church is in our community, that's, a, that's, a, that's good for our community. It's a good church. that a, that's a, almost looks like a great church. And Jesus says, no, 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 you missed the point. Because here's the question Jesus is asking us. Is, it, is this a great marriage? A generation into marriage. I mean, if, if somebody came to me and said, Christian, let, we, we've been married 30 years. Um, here's what we do well. We work really hard to provide a good life for us and our family and and we have great house great cars We're out of debt. Um, we've worked really really hard. We've persevered Sometimes things in marriage are really hard Um, but you know, but we but we've persevered we've been married 30 years now Um, and we hold each other accountable like things in our life where we need to get better spiritually We're we're really good at holding each other accountable and we've learned to make wise decisions over our 30 years together with our kids and our grandkids We've we've learned to make wise decisions. Um, you know, we we don't quit When it when it gets hard we've made it through tough times in marriage when the business failed and um, You know when we lost our job and we had to move and when one of our parents died We've made it through tough times together. We're we're still pushing. We're still pushing. We're not going to quit We know what the bible says. We hate divorce. So we're not going to get divorced Um, Here's everything going on in our married life. There's just one problem. We don't love each other anymore Good marriage or bad marriage Great marriage I mean, would we, look at, would we look at that relationship 30 years in and say, sounds all right to me. And the answer is no. Because we don't, we don't look at relationships like that. And if you're like me and you look at that and think, that looks like a great church, you're looking at religion, not relationships, because you would never talk to someone and say, after 30 years, we just don't love each other anymore. Is that a problem? And the answer is yes. Yes. See, here's the the dilemma the church at Ephesus had. Here's the dilemma that I've had to question myself as a pastor this week. As Jesus has said, Christian, does Journey have this problem? Here was their dilemma. They were good at church, but they were bad at Christianity. That's the dilemma of the church at Ephesus. They were really good at church. They were bad at Christianity. And Jesus asked me this week, does that look like Journey? Lord, I, I hope not. And then God said, does that look like you? Like is, Does that look like your life? Are you better at ministry than you are Christianity? Is it always about me? Is it always about Jesus? You see, Jesus looked at the church at Ephesus. He may look at our church this way today. I don't know. I'm contemplating that this week. Jesus looked at the church at Ephesus and he saw a church that had fallen in love with the work of the church. And the work of church is awesome. It makes you feel really good. He saw a church that had fallen in love with the orthodoxy of the church. Learning truth and applying truth is awesome. But he saw a church that had left the heart of the church. I mean, listen, he looked at Ephesus and said, you all, you all really love the work of the church. You are making a tremendous impact. They probably wore shirts that said difference makers. They were making a difference, right? It's like, you are, you're great. You're making a difference as a church. You love truth. Holy cow, you've learned all the theology and, you know, you have Bible studies and you talk about Greek and you talk about Hebrew. It's, it's awesome how you're pursuing truth. Here's the problem. You love both of these more than Jesus. You love, you love doing ministry and how it makes you feel. You love studying truth and what it allows you to learn more than you love a person named Jesus. And that's not going to work well long term. They love the work and the orthodoxy more than they love Jesus They lost the heart of the church. Say what's the heart of the church? Great question. Someone asked Jesus one time In matthew 22, he gave his answer. It's called the great commandment It says an expert in the law tested him with this question teacher Which is the greatest commandment in the law? He basically saying let's get down to the heart of it What's the most important thing spiritually in your kingdom? Jesus replied love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the heart of life with God. Love God deeply. Love and serve the people in your spiritual community deeply. This, this is it. If you have that, everything else will flow. So we have had at our church this summer an incredible summer of doing, an incredible summer of impact between vacation Bible school and youth camp and a mission trip to Houston, and a mission trip to Guatemala. We had more than 350 adult volunteers engaged in doing this summer. It was awesome. It resulted in more than 300 spiritual decisions here and in Houston and Guatemala of people who did not know Jesus who came to Jesus. It was awesome. We had nearly 900 people engaged in serving at Love Week. 26,000 meals packed. 3,400 community, uh, community hour service that we serve. Over 250 backpacks packed with school supplies delivered to schools. Two schools that we adopted and kind of treated their staff to, to back to school lunches and sessions. 61 pints of blood donated to the blood bank. I mean, we had an incredible summer of doing. And as I looked at all the stuff we were doing, here's a question Jesus asked me this week. Christian, that's all really awesome. Do you think this summer your people loved me every day and spent time with me every day? I mean, what you're doing is awesome. Got it. But do you think your people this summer loved me and spent time with me every day? Do you think they loved each other and served each other and made sure to spend time with one another instead of just doing their own stuff? Do you think They loved me deeply and loved each other deeply, or do you think you just did a bunch of ministry? And here was my honest question Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Lord, I don't know that I can know that. And here's what God said What do you think? You know your people, you talk to them, you text them, you see them on social media, you know who's talking about their time with God. Christian, what do you think? Do you think this summer the people of Journey Church International, as much as they did, do you think they really leaned into Jesus on a daily basis and stayed close? And my answer was this, probably not. Probably not. And God said, is that your fault or theirs? And I said, according to Revelation 2, both, right? I'm the leader. I got, I got to push them. We can't just celebrate the big stuff. But I mean, they, like, they've got to hear and apply, right? And God's like, yep, good answer good answer. Listen, we can't let Christianity become what we do rather than who we love. We miss it. We miss it if we do that. We can't let marriage become what we do instead of who we love. We can't let Christianity become what you do rather than who you serve and why you serve them because we'll all burn out and quit eventually if we get there. And that's where the church at Ephesus was headed. But Jesus says, if you can receive this and you can apply this, there's this massive blessing waiting for you and coming from you. And here it is in Revelation 2.7. What is the blessing we receive, right? We, we've got some things revealed about Jesus. We've uncovered some things maybe in our hearts. What's a blessing we can receive if we can take in this truth and apply it? Here's what Jesus says in verse 7. Really interesting little phrase. I think it's for most of you in the room. I've been looking closely. If you don't have two ears, I apologize. I just didn't see it. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. What the spirit says to the churches you say who's that for most of us if not all of us you have ears, right? Whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches Hey, Christian. That's a weird phrase It is But it's a phrase we find in the bible an interesting amount of times Whoever has ears let them hear this was a phrase used by jesus seven times in the gospels Matthew mark luke and john record this saying seven times he who has ears let him hear It's also recorded seven times in the book of revelation Each one of the churches at the end would have this message. If you can hear it, apply it. For those of you who study the Bible and have been around church a little bit, you know that seven is God's number for completion. So things that happen only seven times or things that happen in cycles of seven, they, they hold this special meaning from God that, hey, this is a completed set of truth for you. Say, so what does it mean that Jesus seven times in the gospel said, whoever has ears, let them hear? And then seven times in the book of Revelation said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Here's what Jesus is saying here. I have said this enough that you can understand it. It's not on me anymore. It's on you. I have completed this truth that I'm going to pour out. And you have to have a spirit to receive. You gotta have the proximity for promise. You you can't now say you didn't know what to do. I have completely told you what you need to know. It's on you now. If you have ears, hear it and apply it. Because if you do, there's a blessing. You know, his message to the church at Ephesus could have sounded like this. Maybe it's a message our church needs to hear. It's certainly a message I think for every church in the world today. Hey, here's what people see when they look at you. They see a really hard-working, impactful church. But here's what I see when I look at you. I see a people maybe not doing it all for Jesus and the overflow of their relationship for Jesus. I think people in our community look at Journey now as we've almost seven years old and they're saying, man, that church is really making a difference. But what does Jesus see? Does he look at our church and see a group of people who's really not in love with him and each other? No one wants a marriage where we say, all these things are going good. We just don't really love each other. Jesus doesn't want that marriage. He's invited us into a relationship. But he doesn't want to be in a relationship with people who just don't really love him anymore. That's not the way Christianity works. Jesus says, it's not just going through the motions. It's not just going through the motions. So he says, if you're doing that, here's, here's your challenge, verse five. If you're just going through the motions, consider how far you've fallen. Repent you might circle that word. It just means change If you're just going through the motions consider how far you fall repent change Do the things you did at first if you do not repent I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What's the challenge? The challenge is this remember repent or be removed Here's the challenge remember repent or be removed We started this letter by seeing that it was a letter written to pastors and christians And here's what god is saying you have to have life to give life. But that's your job. Pastor, your job is to give life. But you have to have life to give life. Christian, your job, Christians, your job is to give life. But you have to have life to give life. So you got to remember why you came to Christ in the first place. And you've got to get back there or no one is going to be attracted to. No one is going to want the Christianity you have. because It's just going to look like a bunch of work but not a relationship. So remember and repent or you'll be removed. You'll never be able to give life. But if you can do that, look at the promise. It is such a specifically phrased promise that we cannot mistake the power of it. Here's what he says in the last half of verse seven. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Those are not words used on accident. When you hear tree of life If I were to say this Hey, we're taking a trip to go see the tree of life. You would think we were going to where? The garden of eden Tree of life so so clearly symbolizes creation Do you know jesus only used the word paradise once In his 33 years of ministry remember where jesus said the word paradise. He told a guy he'd go there. Remember Anybody On the cross It's the only time he used it So when Jesus says, if you can receive this life, if you can receive this message, here's what's gonna happen. The creation that fell apart, that was rescued by the cross that came together, will allow you a recreation that will bring life to you and will give life to others. He who has ears and and really hears and takes to heart this message, what I have created you to be that fell apart, but that the cross put back together, will come back together in your life and result in life for you and life for others. It's why God says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He says, I started this thing at creation. I will end it at recreation. But right in the middle sits the cross. And that cross allows you to get from one to the other with me and have life that gives life. So as a pastor in a church, we've been given life so we can give life. As a Christian... You've been given life so you can give life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we have been given life so you can hear about it and choose it if God's calling you to it. But you have to open your heart and say, if God is giving me life, if he's giving me recreation, if he's giving me a brand new chance, if he's giving me eternity, I want that. You have to to open up your heart and you have to respond to what God is saying to your heart. Before we started this message, you asked God to speak to you and you told him you would listen. What has he said? How are you gonna respond? Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we consider that?